Hey, this is Dave Pryor. You're listening to The Reluctant Agilist on projectmanager.com. I'm very excited about this podcast. We've been trying to schedule it for quite some time, but all the stars have aligned tonight. And Ellen Gottesdiener, hopefully I got that right, and Annie Repton are here. And we're going to be talking about a session they led uh, this September in New York at the Less Conference called What is Our Product? So thank you both for being here. Great to be here. So you were at the Less Conference, which was held in a very cool building um, in, in the Lower East Side, the birthplace of punk, um, mm-hmm. this September. And you talked all about product, but you talked about infrastructure, too. Can you give kind of a, an overview of what the talk was about? So it was really about our experience, Ellen and I's experience, working within a large multinational financial organization um, and within an infrastructure part of that group, um, part of that um, organization. Um, the, the, the organization itself is about 300,000 people. Within, within that, there's a 40,000 person technology organization. And our domain is within a 8,000 people infrastructure organization. So these, are the, so these are the people that put the networks, the data centers, the compute, storage, all that kind of stuff in place. And then I guess your traditional IT on top of that. Um, and um, so that's kind of the domain, the context we're in. And really, they're moving from a, um, I guess, I guess, incre- trying to increase their agility, um, and to do that, we're moving towards a product-aligned um, organization. I guess coming from a what we what we could kind of traditionally know as kind of component and specialist teams. Um, so as you can imagine, within an eight thousand-person infrastructure organization, you've got a um, you've got a large number of specialist groups um, that have, that have built up over time, um, over you know over 20, 30, 40 years. And then you've got 8,000 or several thousand people asking you how to have a cross-functional infrastructure team that can do some form of Scrum or Agile or whatever. I mean, that's got to be a messy swamp to get into. Exactly. That's where the challenge is. I'm trying. Yeah. I have trouble with that question in my CSM classes. I can't imagine trying to answer it for thousands of people at once. Yeah, and everybody wants the answer. And they want it... <laughs> documented and laid out on a plate just so we can we can go and adopt it um, <laughs> process exactly and at the last the this was the large-scale scrum conference that andy and i were speaking at and one of the things that is a big focus in that approach for scaling product development is something very core and foundational that i think some people forget about and that is defining what your product is in the first place yeah, so, so there's a big movement, and you're one of the people helping to kind of lead that movement, right? Well, we're doing our bit, right? Trying to look at the product holistically. Okay. And um, so what we shared were a whole bunch of techniques and tools and ways that um, over the last year that we've been going about trying to make that happen, working with product development leaders and product development communities within this organization to help them define their product, taking that, as Andy said, customer focus as well as outside in perspective. So basically, you know, a product management mindset. Okay. I guess this comes towards the latter end of a, um, you know, two or three year journey where we've been working a lot with at the team level um, and coming up against all sorts of obstacles. Um, A lot of those being dependencies outside of the team. So, we've kind of got to a crunch point where we really needed to change the structures of the organization. Um, and that's where the product alignment comes in. 
Um, so if you, um, if, you know, if you look at one of Larman's laws around culture follows structure, one of the things we talk about is well, structure follows product. And so defining your product first and then building your organization around that really sets you up for, you know, I get, we, we, we believe better for success. So can you talk each talk about your background and kind of the role that you played in this? Cause I usually start out with that, but I kind of wanted to kick it off with the topic first, but this is going to play, I think a big part in this. Ellen, can you tell folks a little bit about your background and, and where you come from? Um, sure. I mean, I started uh, as an analyst programmer and um uh, working in the uh, insurance industry and then healthcare, and um, then moved out and started doing a lot of work in helping people collaborate around their product needs and product requirements, and doing a lot of experiments with collaborative techniques and facilitated approaches. Just as the agile, you know, agile became sort of a hype term. So anyway, that evolved into me basically being a, a product coach. So I work with product communities like product managers, product owners, <clears throat> excuse me, and their and the development communities, and we like to say that to to help them produce valuable outcomes through product agility. Okay. And so you know my experience is abroad uh, across many different industries. Andy, how about you? Yeah. So um. So my my background is very much in infrastructure technologies. And for the last oh, last 18, 17, 18 years, been within financial services. Um, but very early in my career, I became you know, really interested in, in team dynamics. What makes a team tick? How do you get a team performing? How do you get people motivated? And how do you kind of increase the effectiveness of the team? And so I guess I spent a lot of my time, um, before I even really understood the word experimentation, kind of experimenting with of different techniques and, and, and ways of working um, for the teams that I was working with. Um, and I kind of I, I kinda remember before hearing this servant leadership term, calling it like rolling out the red carpet leadership, um, really trying to set the environment for teams to be successful and kind of getting out of the way, I guess. Um, and so that, that kind of led me to, to do a lot more of that, when I, especially when I was at, at Goldman Sachs in my previous, um, my previous firm running, you know, a lot of communities of interest, leadership development programs, innovation events, promoting mentoring and coaching and that kind of stuff. And so I was kind of doing all that in my part, in my, in my spare time, really, on the side, because I was just hugely passionate about it. And then I got offered about four years ago, got, got offered a role to focus on that full time. And so I jumped at the chance. And that's where I got more involved in the kind of organizational transformation work. Um, and that's really what I've been doing for the last three or four years. How many teams were you working with and how often were you able to be in contact with them directly? So let's step back a little, little bit because one of our, I guess, I guess this started probably a couple of years ago and there was a small team of us, like three or four of us. Um, and we, I guess we had some senior sponsorship um, from the, you know, the, I guess the CIO who kind of gave us, you know, gave us the free reign to kind of go off and you know, do something. Um, and we kind of, I guess we put our hand up early on that we were, you know, we were passionate in this, in this kind of this agile movement and we thought it would bring benefits to the organization, but we had, we had quite a um, strong set of values of how we wanted to do that. Um, and rather than kind of just forcing it down people's throats was we kind of had this shared belief in sort of inspiring pull. So one of the things we started doing is just working with teams that we knew were, you know, we, we knew were interested um, and we knew wanted to improve 
and leaders and teams. And so we just started working with teams in small pockets. And then we built a community of interest, a, a network of, of change agents, I guess, from across the organization. And we started um, telling stories and positive stories um, of, of that kind of, you know, their successes. And that really got some momentum um, at a kind of more of a senior level um, in the sort of middle management ranks. And then we started working with leadership teams. So at any one point in time, we may be spanning across multiple you know, multiple parts of the organization, um, working with, you know, we might run a workshop one week for 20, 30 people who span, potentially span over multiple teams, but then we're trying to get them to work and organize as, as one single team. Um, or we work with leadership teams, and I've been working with a single leadership team, for example, for, for quite a while now. Um, and so that's kind of my day job. And then off the side, working with um, some of the delivery teams um, on a more of an ad hoc basis, depending on um, where we're focusing at any one point in time. Okay. So you, you built teams around motivated individuals first, which is just to yeah, quote the matter. novel. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm curious about this. So you went middle management and then senior management? Because I've usually seen it go team, senior, and then they just ignore the middle and squeeze. Yeah. Them. So I'd say, I'd say we, I mean, we had, so we had the support early on just to, you know, they were paying our wages. They believe, you know, we, we shared our kind of our values and what we believed was the you know a good approach to increase the performance of the teams within within this um, infrastructure organization um, so we had the remit there and then we wanted we, we started focusing at a grounds up level so yeah we started with the teams and then we worked our way up and I guess it provided a kind of positive friction within the environment um, that uh, kind of got got noticed that this you know this new way of working was working for a number of teams and people were, you know, hugely motivated. They were delivering at a quicker pace. Their customers were really loving what they were doing. Um, so there, it was pretty compelling. And then that, that was when we kind of, we got more pull from okay. the, you know, from the, from the middle management. Okay. Um, Ellen, can you talk a little bit about the switch over to the product side? Cause that, that is something that I, it seems to me like a lot of people are still struggling to get their heads around. I mean, the, uh, product thinking is that yeah. what you mean by yeah. the product? Yeah, from, from project to product. Oh my God! Yeah, that's that is definitely uh, <laughs> that is definitely a big mindset change. I remember this is not within this organization. A side story. I think I was it was in Ohio. It was probably close to five years ago, and I was speaking at a local group. And the topic, the title of my topic was products, not projects. And when I walked into the room, there were a lot of people with scowls on their face. <laughs> really, they were not happy about that title because it was somewhat threatening um, to the very large project community uh, and, and all the certification folks out there. Um, the, because people very much have a project mindset as opposed to a product mindset. And so some of the things that we do, actually, we've been bringing in that transform, that mental transformation from project to product in the facilitated workshops that Andy and I have been um, leading, as well as doing training, as well as in one-on-one -on -one coaching with some of the product people. You know, thinking about a product as having a life cycle, that's not something as opposed to a project with an event. Thinking about um, thinking outside in, that's sort of an expression we use a lot that we want to think outside in. Who is the customer? 
what are their needs? What are their problems? How do you fall in love with those problems to solve them? Um, and that all these software tools or components or vendor, um, vendor software products that from a vendor's point of view, it's a product, but they're part of the overall larger product. That's not really a product. The product is much broader. Um, so those are some of the big challenges. And particularly, I think, Andy, you'd agree with this. That's a huge challenge within infrastructure because we think infrastructure folks are thinking they're very technical oriented. They're thinking about um, all the pieces and parts and how they connect. And they don't always think about the end end customer, the true end customer and the value that you're giving them. So that is a really big, that's, that's been a lot of the year is getting people to think about uh, product versus project. And it's a big challenge. What do you think, Andy? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, you know, it's within a, I guess within an infrastructure organization, I've been in a number of them now. Um, it's very kind of technology led really. And I guess that's where Ellen's kind of phrase around inside out versus outside in. I guess what we're doing is we want to really become customer led. And it's really, it's within infrastructure organizations generally, the, the customer base is usually kind of captive because it's, it's your other technology partners or your, your business that you're serving. Um, so that kind of the market forces, I guess, are less of a consideration. I guess some complacency also drifts in as well. Um, and the way you think about product is generally is other people's products. So a lot of, there's a lot of vendor um, engagement, a lot of vendor reliance on um, you know on vendors and vendor products. And I guess we have this thing where we see we see those products that we bring in as our product. I guess it's akin to you know. I guess I like to use the coffee shop analogy where, you know, if a, if a coffee shop owner only saw the, you know, the coffee as the product, there'd be in a whole heap of problem, heap of trouble. Um, you know, if they, and so what we're trying to do is get the coffee shop owner to think about the whole experience as the product, you know, how people walk through the door, what their purchasing experience, the cup, the machines, the staff, the levels of service, all that kind of stuff um, as part of the whole product. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's, I mean, it is, is a huge shift. I, one of the things I wanted to ask, can you, can you give an example, either of you, of for an infrastructure project, who is the customer and what is the product? Like just, just some example that folks can maybe latch onto so it's more accessible for them. Well, we could give one maybe from internal end user services, Andy, and maybe one in terms of a platform support. So you can see that. Yeah. So one of so an interesting one I was working with recently was um, it was a phone, like a soft phone. Um, so a software-driven um, phone. So the user wants to, I guess, the user is anybody, any employee in the organisation who wants to wants to make a call via a, you know, via a video chat, just like we're doing here. Okay. Um, now there are a number of technologies that allow you to to do that, and what we had is teams really built around those technologies. So, you know, there's, there's a number of different options out there on the market. Like a Zoom today. team and a Skype team. Exactly that kind of thing, yeah. So okay. but when we bring in, if we build a, build a team around Skype internally, for us to deliver that, we have the integration with the, you know, with, with the vendor product when we, when we bring it in. We've got to then run that up on some infrastructure. Um, to actually run that on your, on your client internally, there's a bunch of work you need to do with, you know, the, the 
the physical compute infrastructure, the, the cameras on your, on your desk, the, you know, the networks and all these kind of things that are, all play into being able to deliver that soft phone. Right. But we've built a team around just the vendor product soft phone, um, whatever that solution is. And then we're having to then join queues to get on the backlogs of the other teams that we really need to be a really key to, to our delivery in order to deliver this thing to the user um, of any value. And so one of the things we did there was we, we literally got that whole value chain in a, in a room and brought the people from all these different component parts into a room. And, um, and this was one of our early workshops a couple of years ago. And, um, and, and we basically created a, a physical, we used a physical box and we had the vendor at one side and the vendor actually joined us in the room. We had the customer at the other side of the room. And we said, this box represents the, the value um, that is making a phone call internally for this user over there. And they want that box. They're really excited about getting it. But all of you people in, in the room are in the way. Um, and you, you all take a amount of time to actually get that box from, from here coming into the organization over to over there to actually value of that customer. And then we got the, the team to then pass this box along saying how long they keep the box. And there was all this back and forth. And then we got people to put that in the amount of time they hold it. And it was months and months of work um, before they even got like one release out. And that was eye opening for that, for that group. Um, so they weren't aware of that before. around that. And so no, not at all. Yeah. Wow. So that, I mean, that's a powerful medicine in itself. Huge, huge. And literally, you know, within weeks, they deliver something of value to a really thin slice of the, um, of the, of the customer base. Um, and they were literally, you know, within six weeks, they were getting a round of applause on the, on the demos and things like that. And they were just, they were loving it. Wow. Um, it was hugely compelling. Yeah. So what about, this is something that I get asked this question all the time with infrastructure and I don't have a good answer for it, but, um, if we talk about the iterative nature of the work that we're doing, a lot of people see a barrier there when you talk about infrastructure. And I think this would apply whether you're taking a product focus or not, but they can't see how you can iterate on that if you're deploying services to like 5,000 people. Yeah, that's and that's, that's usually the biggest, um, I mean, there are probably a couple of big, biggest obstacles really is, is, is that, I guess, that mindset shift. Um, but also, I guess, the word, even just the word agile is a, you know, I try not to use the word agile because it, it means so many different things to so many different people. So what do you use instead and how do you just, how do you explain it? So I guess, um, speed to delivery, the, okay. um, you know, how do, how quickly do we, do we get something of value into our customers' hands? Um, how do we, how do we validate our assumptions, um, more quickly? Cause one of the, I guess one of the, one of the kind of things I think about when, you know, I get always get asked the question, what's the difference between waterfall and agile? I just talk about really, um, you know, the, the underlying assumptions behind both approaches. And um, for me, one is about the more we plan, the more we will be right is kind of the underlying assumption. And, and the other is, you know, we know we're going to be wrong. How, how do we find out we're wrong as quickly and as cheaply as possible? Okay. Um, and that's, that's where some of the, and Andy, actually, you started introducing this before I was even involved, where you're using CADAS um, with the leadership organization, K-A-T-A from Toyota Production System from Lean, Lean CADAS. Can you explain what it is? Because I, I bet there's some folks listening who don't know. I guess take it from the Toyota, um, the Lean CATA. I don't know if you've seen this, the improvement cutter, but it's basically a, just a four boxer that we use. It's very simple. 
Um, and you can use it for one-on-one coaching as much as you can use it for, you know, large leadership teams. I um, mean, it's really just a, you know, where, where, what's our, what's our vision? Where do we want to get to? What's our current condition? Where are we today? What's our current state? And then what's our next target state to get us towards our vision? And then what are our next immediate next steps? So you just have this kind of four box when you can use it every day, every week, uh, once every quarter, what kind of whatever planning cycle you're on. Um, and it's just something that's really powerful for the team to just start thinking about how do we improve? Um, where are we today? What do we want to get to? And how do we just build on? And we guess we kind of pair that up with like retrospectives and that kind of stuff to generate insights. Um, but the idea is just to get the organization into this kind of cadence of improvement, recognizing that every context is different. Okay. And when, you, when you're doing the workshops, can you, either one of you, explain how, kind of how they work and what the outcome that you're looking for for the for the customer at the end of this. Well, I guess maybe I'll take this for a minute, and uh, Andy, you chime in. I think one of the first things we want to do is have some clarity around what is a product to begin with, and get uh, get the idea of projects versus products out on the table. So we've experimented with a lot of different techniques. Um, one of the simplest ones that we, we've done over and over again that seems to really help is first to find some basic glossary terms like what even is a product versus what is a component, for example. Yeah. And we do a sorting exercise. So Andy was talking about all these vendor products, all these tools, and oh God, I don't know how many hundreds of them there are in the firm with the size of this organization and infrastructure. Many, many, many. And what we do is take the take the domain that they're within uh, and um, list those out uh, on cards and basically do a sorting exercise. So once we review that basic couple of glossary terms, we say, okay, well, sort these um, elements. Are they a product? Are they not a product? Or you're not sure? So we, we call that exercise is, is not, and question mark. Okay. And We'll do a couple of rounds of that, of that, and people will start to, that starts a little bit breaking folks out of the mindset of all these vendor tools being a product, that they're really much broader because, you know, we're defining a product uh, as something that provides value to customers and business partners. I mean, that's a short version of the definition. Um, so that's one of the tools, it's very simple, that helps um so you're just, and all you're doing is asking there is this a product is this not a product that's right so they just take the cards and we break them up into cross affinity groups so they are working okay. with people they don't usually work with and <clears throat> and then have them go to the wall and sort them and we'll do a couple of rounds of that and um depending on the group we'll also do an activity where we'll have them define what they think the product is but first we also one of the exercises I think that's worked really well is something that also I've been using in training with product managers and engineering leads and so forth. Um, that uh, it is basically where we look at the concepts of discovery and delivery and the gradient of work that goes on between discovery and delivery, you know, strategic and tactical, outside insight, customer code. Talk very briefly about that. And then we give them cards that um, describe the work of product management and product development. And there's a Venn diagram that they've drawn with the left side, right side, and a middle. 
which roughly you could say are analogous on the left to product management, on the right to product development and delivery. And in the middle, what Scrum, the Scrum Guide really only talks about as far as product ownership. And we give them these cards and they're things, everything from, you know, uh, leading the vision to doing strategic analysis and customer research to uh, participating in demos and so forth. And they have to sort the cards across this Venn diagram. So they think about the work of product management along this gradient of strategic and tactical work. So it begins to broaden people's thinking about what product management is. Um, and that has been really powerful to get people out of, partially out of that project mindset, but yeah. also to think much more broadly about product. Um, so that's, you know, we've got other exercises, but you know, th those are two that stand out that I think have been helpful in the early part of these workshops. Okay. Um, that in the canvas, I guess. Andy, what do you think? You have a different perspective on that. No, I think that's I think that's right because I think a lot of the the early stage of some of these workshops is just to try and build a shared understanding of you know, what is what is, what do we what do we mean when we talk about product? Yeah. Um, so having the you know having the kind of the definitions, the glossary, talking about the difference between features, components, products, end to end, value driven, you know that kind of stuff, and starting to build that into some of the kind of language, and then getting that. So we do that early on. And then we get them to reflect through some of these exercises and then maybe use a little bit of provoking some questions and what makes this a product? Is that really valuable if we deliver that on its own? You know, some of those kind of questions start getting the, the kind of gray matter thinking. Okay, um, so you're having to teach them this stuff along the way of getting them to do it for themselves. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have a question and I'm, I'm honestly asking this question and it's based on something, Andy, that you said a few minutes ago. I'm looking at your slides, which I'll include a link to. Um, but there's the one slide with the MacBook and it said is, is not. And I, I would normally be like, oh, that's totally a product. But then Andy, when you said the thing about the coffee shop, now I'm like, oh wait, no, it's the experience of opening the Mac, like mm -hmm. the whole. So is the physical thing the product or is the experience? Cause, and I think Mac users are different than Windows users in this respect. Like that <laughs> is a special event when you open an Apple product for the first time. Absolutely. You design it that way. Yeah. Is yeah. that the product? Is the experience like what is? Where's the boundaries of it? That's the point. Ah, okay. <laughs> it, it, context is, is everything. Context, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's like a koan. It's got no answer. Okay. Um, or is that? Is that? And you're just trying to expand their, like, blow their minds and have exactly, exactly. And I think one of the things Les talks about is you know going as broad as possible early, but then kind of scaling down um, or narrowing. Your definition really based on well not i guess your definition but your organization around that you know, based on practicalities there's all sorts of different things that kind of fall into how you might organize around that but you know i guess it's really really thinking about the you know, from the eyes of the customer what is that experience and like you just said a big part of that experience for for mac users is the unboxing you know yeah. i've been around i've been i've been in you know at work when people have just run back from the apple store um, <laughs> after launch day you know with their new iphone and they're well, handing it around you know every little every little air and every little open yeah. it's just yeah it's, <laughs> it's like a special moment in your life yeah, so but funny. not just for that person and that you know that's that's 
that's the kind of you talk about kind of um, referral and NPS and all this kind of stuff. That's there in you know you can see it visually happening in front of your eyes. It's amazing. Yeah. So all right. Um, sorry for the digression there. Do you want to talk about the product canvas a little bit because that is something that I think is really interesting. Uh, okay, I'll start. Maybe you can add Andy. So I think Ellen uh, should. Um, yeah, this is her um, her babies. She loves canvas. Ellen thinks <laughs> in canvases. This is one of the things I say to her. You know, some people so, think in in spidergrams. Ellen thinks in canvases. <laughs> so before before we go through the canvas, um, I know Ellen, you're working on putting together a post where we're going to have links to all these things. Which I will I will add a link to the podcast after that gets set up. So if you're listening to this, you can check back in the show notes later on when that is available. We'll include it here. But can you explain the product canvas to us? Sure, and I'm, I'm sure many people are familiar with the idea of a canvas. Um, having been inspired by the business model generation canvas, which is really well known uh, by a lot of people, this whole idea of canvas sort of exploded in the in the business community. So it's it's one or possibly two pages that are compact and succinct and really define <clears throat> define in a compressed manner a lot of important information in one you know visual picture. So the product canvas that we uh, that we've been working on, the version that we've been using in this firm, is a takeoff on a, a versions of a canvas that I've used in coaching product teams and other organizations. And it's two parts. Um, the first part has a lot of the higher level strategic information about the product, and the second part has uh, the seven product dimensions, which I'll briefly discussed. So in part one of the canvas, you're seeing what it chunks, blocks of information, the vision, uh, the revenue streams, cost factors, channels, information about the product partners from the customer, business, and technology realms, and what they value. And you also look at the competition. What does the competitive landscape look like? What are innovation waves um, coming um, down the pike? So this is depicting at a high level some of the really important work that a product of product management, the strategic work. Um, and then uh, part two. Just, just can I just jump in there a second? Sure, sure. So I guess uh, on this particular canvas, on this first page, one of the things that um, that I've seen a lot of value um, from teams using this and just exploring it together particularly around, and I see a bit of an anti-pattern within, within infrastructure organizations um, where we see, you know, back to that kind of that, that video phone example, where we see the new, the new technology coming in and being seen as a new product um, and therefore you know, have its own roadmaps, investment, teams, sometimes new teams are built around them um, and they're seen as new products. Whereas when we start exploring product from an outside in and using this canvas to really think broadly about the product definition, we start seeing actually those, those, those things that we thought were products, those new innovations are actually just, just you know, waves of innovation within this product. And there's going to be many of those that will come and go and come and go and technology will just come and go, but the product remains long lived. So the ability for people to, to talk with each other and video phone are, are going are gonna to be you know, it's, it's going to remain despite which technology you're using underneath. So that, for me, that was a really important um, part of, you know, a good kind of 
good way, a good, a good, a good use of the canvas and some, something which I really saw great value in. Um, so I have, I have a question yeah. now, because what you just said got me stuck on something. So I'm looking mm. at the canvas right now and I'm looking at the vision box and part of my brain's going, how do you have a vision statement for an infrastructure project? Like if we're going to roll out, you know, Skype or Zoom or whatever, like that's somebody else's product being brought into an organization. Well, those are vision statement for that. Well, you're no, because that is a vendor product. Right. That's really just a tool or a component in the environment of use. So okay. if you look at part two of the canvas where we have the seven product dimensions. Super awesome. This is, I'm super excited to hear you talk about this. Okay. So <laughs> this is a way to look holistically at the product that incorporates what are unfortunately called functional and non-functional requirements of the product. I've always just like, okay. it's a whole other thing I could go off on, but something like uh, Skype or Zoom would be um, software components in the environment dimension. Okay. Okay. And they may, there, there will be other things there. You know, what platform, what browsers do they live on? You know, uh, what communications platform? All of that is environment dimension. Uh, the, the users may be any, anybody, any employee in the firm or somebody that is in a, in a retail store. Um, or there could be different types of users that you might uh, classify user roles, right? That are used are are able to take the action of communicate uh, visually, right? So that Skype or Zoom is part of the environment dimension. Okay. Right? So would the vision then be we want people to communicate electronically in the office with video so they can interact? better or something yeah. like exactly well, yeah, maybe from trip. anywhere any okay. place any device um you know, remotely in the office you know wherever and, so and it's a vision for a capability it's a vision for the product the okay. capability is is uh, the capabilities that that product have would be some of the actions like you know being able to uh, click to call or turn off, turn off. Go ahead. Let me, let me say it differently. Cause I think I just turned a big corner in my head with thinking about infrastructure. So if I'm working at a big company and I'm working in infrastructure, I am providing the people that work in the company with the capability of doing different things like speaking to each other electronically with video or securing this thing or standing up a server without yeah. having to yeah. buy a physical box yeah so it's a service which i what i was calling capability you're giving them the option to do something and that is the thing you create a vision for yeah and i mean okay. a service is is also a product Right. Yes, yes. And, but, and, but we could buy something off the shelf to, to deliver part of the vision. Correct. Okay. To deliver the, the, the needs that the customers have. Absolutely. I just had a huge moment. I know you guys can't tell, but this was a big deal. So they're the kind of light bulb moments um, yeah, that we see going off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it really is a challenge to think broader. But that's, that is much better when you can think broader. Just think of all the silos that you're breaking down when you think much broader. Yeah. Um, so that, that's part of what this tool helps with. Um, and different, different elements 
um, different elements. I guess the interesting thing is someone's been, um, if someone's been plugging these gaps forever, whether that's running it as projects and, you know, pulling many people together and, you know, trying to maneuver the, you know, the kind of hellish environment of people's queues and things, or whether it's the, but a lot of the time it's the customer, the customers having to build this, 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 these component parts into something that's of value to them, um, you know, through, through hard graft. Um, and that's, you know, that's the kind of shame of this, right? Um, and wait and wait along and not know exactly what the state of what they're asking for is and wait a long time for it. Yeah. Um, but if we go outside in and think about, you know, an application developer who needs to have a platform uh, stand up, as you said, like stand up a platform that's ready for them to put the application on. Well, there's a lot of elements around that from database to network um, uh, and and being able to run under a secure environment uh, with minimum capacity utilization, you know, to provision something and being able to do it quickly. What we want to be doing in infrastructure is looking at, and this gets to the metrics piece of it too, that's really important, is how are we measuring success from the customer's point of view? And if we're, we're looking holistically, we're not just looking at, okay, I spun up a database, but all the other aspects that you need, you know, with that database from, uh, from the, you know, reliability and the backup and recovery that you want to have with the database, disaster recovery, uh, the file sharing, all the, uh, all of the services and components that make up successful standing up a platform, that's from the customer's point of view, the internal right. customer, that's what they need. And they don't want to go from this part of the org. They want to have to memorize the org chart yeah. in order to get something done. Okay. So there's a lot of, I just want to comment on this really quick before we go on. There's a number of layers of complexity that you're dealing with here. You're teaching people how to adopt an agile mindset. You're teaching them how to do agile in a scaling in a scaled environment. You're teaching them how to think about infrastructure from a product standpoint. Um, there's a lot of pieces of change to have to manage when you're going through this stuff. Did you guys get into that in the talk at all, or is that just? That's a whole nother talk. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems like a massive undertaking. Huge. Um, Huge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So, so I don't, let's go, go back into it. So and I'm, I'm going through the slides. We've, we've touched on the, the seven dimensions. You also talk with them about um, the, the context diagram. Oh yeah, that that in our that was one of the tools that we don't use it with with all of the organizations. But this this was a helpful in several of the leadership workshops to get people to think outside in. You know, there's there's visual models. I think unfortunately the agile community sort of abandoned that idea, and it's coming back to it hopefully uh, because some of the visual tools they convey information so quickly and help people like like Andy was saying, get, get a shared understanding. So the context diagram, which is a visual model that's been around since DIRT, really, <laughs> is a very powerful to, way to look at the, the big view, if you will, of the interface dimension, who or what interfaces with the product. 
Okay. And um, so when we did that, and we did this iteratively in several workshops, people started to see, well, one thing you could see is where several times I experienced where different uh, affinity groups who thought they had separate, or you know, were certain, sure they had separate products, would build the, this context diagram, and lo and behold, they look at each other's and they have the same interfaces. <laughs> so you know, you, you, well, what is that telling us? You know, well, what does that mean? Oh, maybe it really is the same product, uh, but we have some variations in the environment dimension, or there's certain types of users that use that product. So this could be a very simple and powerful way to get people to broaden their thinking about what their product is. Does that make sense? It does, and, and it's, it's seeming to me like the, the intention of these workshops, I mean, one, you wanna produce the artifacts they produce and help you understand what, you know, what you're facing, but the, the sort of subtle goal, it seems to me like, is to teach them to see everything in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah, it's really deep experiential learning. Um, so how long does it take to put them through this? Usually they're about three days, these workshops. But okay. then that's really just the beginning of the work. And you've got thousands of people in them or you're doing it for a, a handful at a time? Yeah, usually yeah, no. between 20, 30 people at a time. Yeah, okay, I thought you were going to say like, you know, 20,000, whatever. It's... Yeah, no, usually, <laughs> usually, well, usually these are the decision makers. Self-organizing. Yeah, a lot of these are the people that can actually do something about this, you know, um, okay. need to be aware of this early so they can kind of unlock, I guess, the potential in the organization. Um, so by that's, just a, that's really conscious. important too. It's not just people mm. that are like the minions. These are people that can affect change. Yeah, yeah, this, this is the leadership team. Okay. You know, and at the same time, what the organization has been doing is trying to uh, implement a role, a product manager role. And, um, so given that imperative, well, what are our products that we're going to manage? <clears throat> and um, uh, what are some of the strategic things that we have to think about around our product, which the Canvas part one gets a start at. So in order to, if there's an imperative, if the executive leadership says, well, we need to have, we're gonna move toward having a product management mindset and a customer focused mindset and have something called a product manager part of these workshops are also like with the example with discover deliver and the work of product management that activity helps them think about well, what is product management and who are the right people we might have in that role yeah, yeah. can, can you talk about discover deliver a little bit so so we look at discovery and delivery as interlocking activities and um it looks like an infinity diagram on the cover of the book, Discover to Deliver. And the work of discovery is very much, um, obviously there's, as discovery implies, there's experimentation, there's learning, there's using many, many different, I think I've put together an exercise with I think about 30 different discovery techniques that you could possibly use um, to understand what it is that we wanna build uh, and so that we can build the right thing and then the delivery is building it right. I think that's pretty much a very common way to talk about um, the what are we going to build and then building it being the delivery. So discover, deliver, discover, deliver. Those interlocking activities really are the essence of lean agile development. And you're always getting feedback from post-delivery. You look at your feedback to get validation that you built the right thing. And as you come into 
delivery, you're looking to do some activities. It might be hypothesis testing. It might be building things that you know from validation that you need to scale out and, and, uh, and then you move into delivery and build it. So that's the, the big concept, which is um, pretty, you know, that's, that's the way we wanna go about doing our work in short cycles. Um, so that activity actually, Dave, the, one of the links I'll give you is I just recently posted how to run that activity. In, oh, great. You know, as a facilitator. And it gives you step-by-step -step instructions. Uh, it gives you a link to the cards and everything. Okay. Um, so the blog blog will show you how to do that. Cool. And it can, I guess it can be run in for multiple uses as well. So we've, we've run it in workshops with leadership to help them really appreciate the amount of work that goes into you know, product management, the discovery side of that equation, as well as the delivery side. Um, and that product management is a... You know, it's something we need to take seriously because there's a hell of a lot of stuff that adds a lot of value to that process in there. And then we've also used it with um, with teams. So when the when the when the you know the the engineering or the development teams working with their product manager, product owner, you know, this is all the work that needs to go on. Who's going to do this work? And again, with every, with every context potentially, some of that um, you know some of that crossover is different, and some of those activities may get solved in different ways. Um, and then we've also used it with engineering managers and product managers and trying to get an understanding and a shared understanding of you know who does what where are our, where are our kind of where are our roles and what activities do you do versus what i do and how do we make shared decisions and that kind of stuff that point andy just made about who's going to do what in our decisions this is in my travels this yeah. is one of the biggest obstacles to success with product management um, and with the delivery is that there's not a lot of, there's not clarity on how do we decide how to decide that pattern, that decision-making pattern. Um, so and you've got to teach them how to do that as well. Like a yeah, way. yeah, yeah. So, so literally the exercise, this, this is a three-part activity. And what we've been describing is the first part. What Andy just alluded to is the second part where we look at what are common decision rules. And for these product management activities, who is going to decide how to decide? Uh, what, what is our rule for decision-making? Are we going to have a product manager who decides after consulting with the team? Are we going to um, use a consensus decision rule, which by the way, does not often work very well because it takes a, a lot of time and it can um, disempower the product person um, and the, the other decision rules that there are. And, but what was, what really is, really successful is where you can go to that third step in this activity where over time, the product person who is really overwhelmed, I mean, it's product management's a lot of work. And I'm, I'm including the work of product ownership, which people typically think about uh, all the work around backlog management. It's much broader than that. So a product manager has to be able to do competitive analysis and customer research and look at those innovation waves and uh, look at pricing and metrics and it's huge. So they really need to be able to depend on the delivery team to help them with some more of that tactical work. They may have some outcome goals for a release and, um, and, the, and have um, crafted the, the roadmap with participation but wouldn't it be great if the delivery team 
could take the more granular work, like what might be backlog items like stories, and order them based on these outcomes that we need for the next release, so that the product person is free to do some of that strategic work. So some of the decision-making then can shift over time when the relationship between product management and engineering or development is stronger and trust is there and they're in a rhythm of delivery so that they can slide into more of a delegation kind of a decision model. So I just want to say this back because in case anybody was listening and didn't totally sink in, I'm, and I want to make sure that I heard what I think I heard. One of the things you just advocated for was that if the product manager or product owner um, could create enough clarity and enough trust, then the developers or the development team could select the things that needed to be done next based on their understanding of the higher level goals within the organization. We would trust them to pick the right thing to work on and that would give the product manager or product owner the ability to focus on the bigger picture stuff. Yeah, that would be the ideal situation. That's crazy talk. <laughs> and and but let me We're just too busy trying to get them to work. Yeah, right. right. The the other thing when you said goals, I'm I'm want to go to another level of fine, uh, uh, finesse there okay. and make it be outcomes or objectives okay. that are sure. quantifiable. Uh, that's that is very much a responsibility of product management with the help of delivery, but the metrics they need to be quantifiable metrics. So okay. not just sort of, okay, we're going to have, you know, higher retention or uh, we're, we're going to reduce provision time by this amount or the MOS score is going to go from this to this. You, you, you need to have them be quantifiable. Okay. So I'm going to try to wrap this up because we've been at it for almost an hour and I know it's getting late for Andy, but this is something that would apply to any team it doesn't just have to be done with thousands of people right right yeah the whole the whole lot it's it's very um you know i like to talk in kind of fractals you know it can be done at a whole organization or it can be done at a, a lot of it can be done at literally a pairing um or okay. a, a very small team but i'm assuming there's an added level of complexity if you've got five thousand people and you've got to run this workshop 40 times and then coordinate all the results yeah yeah yeah, and that's why you know a big part of what we're doing is is trying to build the structures of the organisation around product. And we know we'll get those product definitions wrong. We you know we know we'll have to iterate on that. But a starting point is you know, build our organisations around product, get strong product management in place, which with with very clear and visible priorities, um, which are kind of controlled. So the teams aren't getting bombarded from many different angles with priorities from just multiple different places. It's getting that structure, that clarity and that focus in place. And then we can iterate on, you know, on the design um, of the organization from there. Okay. So, so what advice do each of you have for, for an organization or somebody in an organization that's looking at taking this on at scale? Just like one nugget that they can walk away with and think, ah, that was the thing. So the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the phrase I always use is inspire, pull. Um, I guess the subtext there is people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And one of the Ooh, things that's good. You know, we've kind of, we've, I'm sure I've stolen that from somebody. I just can't no, remember. It's all yours. It's a quote. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I use that quite a lot just to keep um, myself and the people I work with kind of true 
people believe in doing things the right in the right way and they want people want to improve they want to deliver great customer service yeah um, and so you know we're just trying to support them and enable them to do that by creating the environment around them for them to be successful okay and ellen oh boy that was a tough one to follow i know that was really tough. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna steal that and i'm gonna say andy said it and i'm gonna put it in all my slides for my <laughs> Um, I guess these these what I would say is these go together is that the the leaders need the leaders start right so you do the top down but don't forget about the muddle in the middle yeah that's and important. yeah and and it has to be very clear um, to the to the middle that this is that this is real and this is serious uh, one of the things that we're looking at in one of the areas is having sort of a uh, sponsor contract, if you will, that, that cascades through the organization. Okay. Just like, you know, many organizations are very enamored right now with OKRs yeah. and that they align, they're cascading and they're aligning. The same thing we want to have in terms of being able to be successful. And this is apart from all the stuff around learning about what is a product and product management is that you want to have the leaders say and do and reward in concrete ways all the way down um, the organization. Hopefully there's not too many levels to go down yeah. and that that's visible from bottom up. And unless that's explicit, the, the middle sort of gets lost in, in these changes. And then get squeezed and then get scared. Yeah. yeah. I guess just to bring this full circle back round to product, and I will quote Ellen here now, is <laughs> you know, culture, and there's actually a sub quote in here from Laman, which is culture follows structure, but structure follows product. Yeah. 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 This was really, really powerful. Thank you both for doing this. Thanks um, for having us. So I'm going to ask you each to share how folks can get in touch with you, but before we do that, Ellen, do you want to mention what's going to happen with Discover Deliver? Yes, the book. What uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, I hope, uh, I will be making the book available in PDF form from our website. So you can just sign up and be, um, download a PDF of the book, your own copy protected version of the book. Um, and that will be on discovertodeliver.com. And when that's ready, we'll tweet that out. And I'll add it to the show notes. And on behalf of the universe, thank you for doing <laughs> Absolutely. that. All right. So, Ellen, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, you can go to the EBG Consulting, EllenBoyGirlConsulting.com website. My email is Ellen at EBGConsulting.com. That's probably the best thing. Okay. Um, you know, this, the other site is specific to the Discover to Deliver book. Okay. And, and you're on the Twitter. And I'm on the Twitter. Yes, the Twitter. Ellen Gott, E-L-L-E-N-G-O-T-T -T, is my handle. Okay. And Andy? Yep. So I'm available on LinkedIn. Andy Repton on LinkedIn. And um, my Twitter handle is at RepptonAndy. Um, so that's how to get in touch with me. Cool. And I'll include links for all this stuff in the show notes too. Thank you both very much for doing this. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks a lot, David. Really good fun. And have a lovely evening. You too. Take care now. Bye.